On today's episode of Power of the Towel, part of the Next Misconduct Network of Podcast. It's a hot one today, folks, but we got some cool, cool topics to discuss today. Obviously, the big news is Daniel Hendrick Sedin back into the fold for the Vancouver Canucks. Stanley Cup Finals starting before tonight when we're recording this. We're recording this on Monday afternoon, and our guest this week is none other than Israel Fair. Should be a good one. You'll be saying wow every time you use this towel. He's not a person at all. He's a towel. You're a towel. But in Vancouver, mainly it's all about towel power. Are you ready? Welcome to another episode of Power of the Towel, part of the Next Misconduct Network of Podcasts. I'm your host, Nick Bondi, and the twins are back. Yes, Henrik and Daniel Sedin are back as members of the Vancouver Canucks in a different role this time. Special advisors to general manager Jim Benning. It was announced pretty much the day after we recorded our last episode, and you know... I think this listening to the interviews someone like Henrik Sedin has done over the past few days after this official rules announced, they, they have a sense of duty. They want to see this franchise succeed. And I think there's something wholesome about that. I think there's something very pure about that. They come back because they want to see this franchise go back to being one of the premier franchises in the National Hockey League. Both Henrik and Daniel Sedin, it, I don't think you're going to hear much for them in the near future is this is not going to be a frontward facing position like Trevor Linden when he was president of hockey operations constantly having to address the media that's not going to be their role obviously they I think at least at first are going to be behind the scenes they're going to go out and and do the work I think that was something really cool about it is they want to go out and do the work there's been talk that they could be joining or being in charge of Abbotsford. There's been talks that they could be, you know, pro scouting, amateur scouting. I think, I honestly think that they come back because they want to see this franchise succeed and get back to where this franchise once were. But what I don't want to see happen, what I really don't want to see happen is just... The troll Trevor Linden situation 2.0. I don't want to see a press release, you know, in, in a few months' time saying they've amicably split ways because if that's happened, I'm gonna I'm gonna send a message to Francesco Aquilini right now. I'm gonna send you a message, but if that happens with Henrik and Daniel Sedin, you might be running out of town. You might be out as owner of the Vancouver Canucks. There will be there will be that much backlash if you mess this up with Henrik and Daniel Sedin. So I think it's going to be very important for Henrik and Daniel Sedin to be not rushed in their roles with the Vancouver Canucks. I think it's important for them to find their niche, find what 
works best for them. And then go work towards that because, because, I don't, again, I don't want to see what happens with Trevor Lynn happened to Henrik Adelson. It would be an absolute shame if that happened. Other than that, there's not really much news to discuss here with the Vancouver Canucks. We're still waiting to see what will happen with Quinn Hughes and Elias Pettersson. Their new contracts looks like something that will be close, according to Elliot Friedman. A lot of talk about if the Canucks made the right call with Vasily Parkosin over Cole Caulfield. He's tearing up for Montreal. And we'll get to our predictions for the Stanley Cup final uh, later on in the podcast. And we'll have someone, I think, in, in a couple of weeks who, who watches the Parkosin break it down for us because I'm starting to get worried. I, I really, really, really am. Um, yeah, and, and that's really it. I think in a, we'll, uh, we'll break down some expansion targets uh, in, in a couple of weeks. I'm trying to break this one short. It is, it is hotter than hell where, <laughs> where I, I record this podcast. So I'm trying to make this very, very brief today. But we'll, uh, we'll go somewhere a bit cooler for uh, our interview with Israel Fair uh, later later on in this. Uh, you know what? Let's, let's do it right now. Let's go to our interview with Israel Fair right now. And then after, when we come back from that, we will go with our prediction for the Stanley Cup final. Just a minute. Don't hang up. Yellow. You'll have to speak up. I'm wearing a towel. Okay, so we now welcome on the Power of the Towel podcast, part of the Next Misconduct Network of podcasts. Uh, this man was on our podcast back in February of last year when the world was a lot different place. Uh, he has a <laughs> staff editor for The Athletic. It is Israel Fair. Izzy, how are you doing today? Good, Nick. Thanks for having me back on. Not a problem. So this is what we've been doing. We're, 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 uh, we're going to have a streak of former recurring guests on our podcast to uh to end this uh to end this season and what we've been doing to start off is just simply a little performance review so how do you think you felt how how do you think you did last time you were on here i know it was a while ago how do you think you did i think i was solid i think i'd give myself a a solid b yeah yeah i would say like a a b is probably I would, I would have graded you around. You know what? I'll give you bonus points. You're actually coming into our studio. That's right. Yeah. You, yeah. You, you did actually come into our studio when you were allowed to do that. Obviously, it is scorching hot here in Vancouver <laughs> yeah, today. <it> so <laughs> I, 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 I'm, uh, I'm camped out in my basement with air conditioning. Uh, I'm not even going to apologize. If anyone's listening to this interview and hears the air conditioning in the background, I don't even care. I'm not even going to apologize oh, no, for no, that. We've, like, we, I, we've passed that point about 10 degrees ago. Yeah, like I just, it's going to be blasting for this whole interview. I have no idea if I'm going to be able to edit it out, but I really don't care. I have to, I'm a, I've been like a lizard these past few days. I just stay in the basement, get nice and cold. Then I go to my deck, warm up, and then I head back down to my basement. Sounds smart to me, dude. Yeah, it's, uh, it's been, it's been crazy, uh, the past few days here in Vancouver, but, uh, Let's talk about, uh, I guess like we're recording this during the Stanley Cup final game one. Uh, let's, uh, what are your thoughts on the series? I guess heading into this game because I'm still going Habs and six. Whoa. Okay. I am. I'm still, I, this game has not, well, you know, maybe, maybe it's a bit concerning for uh, people for me who picked the Montreal to win, but I think at the end of the day, this matchup against Tampa is better than the Islanders in the sense that. Montreal's game plan is very simple, right? Like it's counterattacking. It's don't, you know, don't let Tampa or whoever you're playing have that much zone time. You get your puck out quickly and you transition to the other side of the ice, get a quick chance. And I think, you know, 
Tampa with is a team who likes to carry the puck, like a cycle around the zone. And that's going to play into Montreal's hands. But in this game, like, hasn't really worked out that way. You know, it's three, one Tampa. Now at the time of recording and Tampa's getting their zone time. That's what's been concerning me is, you know, Montreal hasn't really shown that counterattacking style. That's beat in, you know, Toronto, Winnipeg and Vegas. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. I mean, look, I think, uh, I think Montreal can definitely win a couple of games in the series doing that. Um, in Tampa is they're not invincible. They've, you know, they just came off a really tough series against the Islanders where that was, uh, that was basically, you know, more or less what you're describing, uh, you know, what the, what the Habs want to do is what the Islanders, the Islanders do maybe even tougher. Uh, but I still think as much as I'd love the storyline of Carey Price getting, you know, that Stanley cup ring and some of the other BC boys, if you will, uh, you know, more or less everybody on Tampa won last year. If we're, if we're interested in, in, in being fair, but I mean, th- I remember, I guess it would have been three seasons ago now seeing Tampa in person here against the Canucks. And it was, it was unreal to watch them in person and whatever you want to put the stock into learning how to win in the playoffs and all of that kind of stuff. They had a great run in the bubble and I think they deserve some credit for uh, persevering through that bubble environment. I think 65 days within, you know, between Toronto and and, and Edmonton for the last couple of rounds. Um, And here they are another weird playoff coming off of a weird season, but they've been a super talented team for a really long time. And I think, I think that they're right there and they're, they're going to put themselves in a position to, win back-to-back cups. And I guess we've kind of been waiting for uh, the next sort of, I'm not going to call them a dynasty, but like the next team uh, coming out of that Chicago, LA, Pittsburgh realm of those teams competing. I guess for a lot of people, it would have been Boston, Boston making the cup a couple of years ago and and having a, you know, they played in the cup against Chicago. Obviously they played in the cup mm-hmm. final against the Canucks. Uh, but this is Tampa's Tampa's that team right now. And there might be some up and coming teams. Uh, people in Toronto thought it was going to be Toronto. That hasn't no, been not, the case not at happening all. <laughs> in Toronto. Not happening in Toronto. <laughs> so Tampa's Tampa's right there, man. If they can do this. And, and I think that they will. Uh, as weird as the last couple of seasons have been, uh, the, if, if they end up winning back to back here, that's that's a hell of an accomplishment. And it's it's hard to say they didn't earn it based on multiple conference final appearances prior to this. Big what, what about the fact that they're, you know, ninety five million dollars over the cap? Hey, that, 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 that doesn't, doesn't bother big, me. No, doesn't bother you at all. That. I think that's great, man. If you, you just so you so subscribe, stupid. you know what? That, that that makes sense. You are a baseball fan. Baseball's full of you know. If you ain't yep. cheating, you ain't and trying. I'm a soccer fan, like Premier League and stuff. So yeah, I, I think the cap sucks. And is it a weird circumstance that let's call them their best player has this injury that allows them to do quote this? unquote I mean, injury that just yeah. you know happens to you know he happens to be fully fine game one of the playoffs, right? I mean, like it's it's a circumstance, and they took advantage of it. If the NHL wanted to to disallow that kind of stuff, they should be hard. They honestly, like they shouldn't allow the LTIR stuff. I know that it's the argument, you know, spirit of the rule is that say someone gets injured right before the deadline. Oh, I can't replace this guy. Put him on LTIR, his cap hit, all of that kind of stuff. But I mean, this, these are the things that they, the NHL put themselves in this position when they decided to go to a cap, when they decided that what was more important was 
uh, maintaining a certain financial level for the owners and making it so that the owners, especially in some of the bigger markets, uh, couldn't just go crazy and sign a bunch of guys like the Island or the Rangers and the Leafs uh, back before the 0405 lockout did they had in Detroit Detroit to you know much better success with all the veteran yeah stars that, that, that O2 Red Wings team was oh, video game stacked incredible man yeah that was that, that that roster just looking back is was unbelievable um and so yeah I it, it's it's crappy I mean I I understood Dougie Hamilton's comments after they got knocked out by Tampa sort of saying you know it's not necessarily fair but I mean this is these are the rules that they have and I don't think that if you presented to them at the end of last season, like you want Nikita Kucherov to have that injury. And even if we could sit here and say, look, how many guys uh, get hurt and uh, have their career significantly altered by injuries. Now that number is pretty low, but I mean, you can look at other sports. You can look at Kevin Durant. And I mean, he, he looks, he looked great this year when he played. Um, but he still uh, wasn't 100% healthy the whole season. Kawhi Leonard in the conference finals for the Clippers. I and mean, that guy's had serious injury concerns through his career. And if that was the scenario where they offered that to Tampa saying like, hey, you get to you know get nine and a half million off your books and you're going to be able to add more guys and, and have a bit of a deeper team. Uh, but there is a certain percent chance that Nikita Kucherov is not the player that he's going to be. I don't think that they would take that, but since they have no choice and it works out for them, then we get to say, oh, well, they screwed the system. They're screwing the league. Everybody's upset. Um, I mean, yeah, I, 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 I like the NBA cap where if yeah. you draft and develop players, then you the get a cap. That's not really a cap. Them. Yeah. I like, like, you know, I like the NFL salary cap because no one has any idea how it works. Does, does anyone actually know how the NFL salary cap works? I don't I think no it even idea. really exists. Because Pete, you you know you see it all the time in the NFL, like some guy you'll know, sign a contract, then release him, and like nothing happens to the cap. Whereas but that if try, a guy tried a certain day, it's like if they release yeah. him on Tuesday, it they wipe it out. But if they waited till Wednesday, then there's like a forty million dollar cap hold, and it, yeah. I don't get the NFL calendar as well, man. It it doesn't make any sense to me. Well, you know, but you know what I like about this Stanley Cup final is it has like a really interesting storyline heading into it. Then maybe maybe since you know the twenty eighteen final when you had Washington and Vegas, because you obviously have Montreal trying to win, you know, Canada's first Stanley Cup since. They won it back in 93. So that's obviously going to pique a lot of people's interest, especially in Canada. But you also have Tampa Bay, which you mentioned, like Pittsburgh won back-to-back cups, right? But they weren't a a really dominant regular season team. If you you go back, like they were behind the Washington Capitals each year and they just, you know, they just managed to take advantage of the Capitals choking each time, right? Like they weren't, they weren't at the same level of dominance that Tampa Bay was. So, I mean, if Tampa Bay wins the this this cup back to back, like I think you could make the case, like this is like the most dominant kind of team in the salary cap era for this certain stretch, right? Like, yep. That Chicago team didn't win back to back cups. Those LA teams didn't win back to back cups. Boston certainly didn't win back to back cups. They made a final a couple times, but like they went back to back cups and have the dominant regular seasons Tampa had. It's pretty impressive. And I know, and I get, you know, I like to make the joke, like they're $95 million over the cap or whatever, (laughs) but you know, at at the same time, like they weren't $95 million over the cap during the regular season. And I think there's something to be said about Kucherov, who I think is their best player, you know, missing him for an entire season and still doing pretty well. Yeah. I mean, look, they, they've done a really nice job with the depth that they have. 
Uh, and we talk about the draft in Vancouver all the time, right? They hit on Kucherov and they hit on Braden Point. Yes, they have the top picks with Stamkos and Hedman. And more or less, the teams, if you go through the teams that have won the Stanley Cup, they're going to have at least one or two guys that are picked in that slot. They're not necessarily going to be superstars, those guys. We've we've seen examples of that. Um, But in this case, I mean, Stamkos, I mean, like this thing, they won the Cup last year without Steven Stamkos, with the exception of his, you know, just under three minutes. He scored that, that awesome goal. That was a cool moment. He's actually been healthy this year. He's been yeah. pretty close. But Stamkos to being the guy isn't the guy is. on, on that Tampa team. No, right? not it's Kutrov anymore. and Points team. For sure. They're not anymore. Yeah, yeah. He's the compliment. He's a compliment. I mean, like, what kind of complimentary piece is that, right? Like, if 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 we're looking at, at the Canucks roster yeah. and it's like, okay, Brock Besser can be the fourth best player on this team, and he's a scoring winger. Well, like, I mean, look what Stamkos is doing, uh, and he, I mean, he he's had some bad injury luck, and he's missed some time, and he's he's not the player that he was. A couple of years ago, but even, you know, definitely five years ago. Oh, Tampa scored a breaking news. Oh, Tampa scored to make a 4 1. Game's over. Tampa is winning game one. But you know what? Vegas, Vegas won game one of that series as well. They pretty did. convincingly. Didn't, didn't do him any good. Oh, so, Hamlin six. Number 86, Nikita <laughs> Kucherov. Not bad. Uh, yeah. I mean, look, like I said, I've seen them play in person most you know most was of that players. the season where they had like 60 regular season wins was that yeah, the year was. you saw them yeah yeah the year they lost in the playoffs and i remember sitting i was in the press box at, at rogers arena and going it it looks like they are playing a different sport than the canucks are like it just didn't seem it just didn't seem fair uh and the canucks have you know sort of in some ways gotten closer but like they're they're still you know miles miles away from from that kind of play and you say i think they're the team that stands out the most with that style uh vegas is the dominant team probably colorado too actually and that was that was really interesting to see how they sort of fell apart late in that series against vegas and then to see vegas look really unimpressive against montreal credit to montreal for the way they played in that series but they didn't really give vegas much but it was it was weird. Uh, Vegas is that new that new team with like you know the great analytics and they've got all these players, but they've got they've got some holes apparently. They just they haven't been able to get it done in the playoffs. Thatcher Demko's broken them. That's what happened. They're still shook from what happened last year in the it, bubble. It seems like it. It really does. I mean, they when the fact that they've brought that up a couple times. Or they're yeah, like he's in their head. He's yeah, in their head. That that series he's against Vancouver head. that was weird. <laughs> Oh man! Well, let let let's let's move on to some Canucks news. This is a Canucks podcast. Henrik and Daniel Sedin, they are in the fold officially with the Vancouver Canucks. Took about a month, it seemed like, from or close to a month and a half actually, because I think it was early May that Darren Drager kind of broke the news that uh, Henrik and Daniel Sedin were going to be in a role, and they made it official last Tuesday. They're going to be, uh, I believe, it's called special advisors, but they're going to be part of the the management structure of the Vancouver Canucks for going forward. Uh, a couple of things stood out to me for, for this whole thing. First off, I was really struck by just how genuine they sounded, right? Like they generally just sounded like this team is going through a rough patch. You know, they feel some sort of obligation considering how long they played for the franchise and everything the franchise did for their careers to help them out through this tough stretch. I thought that was cool. And secondly, uh, the other thing that comes to mind is just, I don't want this to end up like another Trevor Linden situation. So I like the fact that it's not really a front, forward-facing job, so to say. Like, you know, obviously, uh, Henrik Sedin did the media tour 
uh, after on uh, after the announcement on Tuesday, he went on like Donnie and Dolly. I think he was on Sakaris and Price as well. He was yep. he was on all the kind of local shows, right? I think maybe even the Sports at Six Fifty as well. Mm-hmm. He was on he, he was on all the all the local show, shows doing the media tour. But I, I think that's probably the last we're going to hear from one of Henrik and Daniel Sedin for a while, right? It's not going to be a Trevor Linden situation where he's they're going to go out and face the media, right? It's going to be very much behind the scenes. So that probably I think bodes well for the situation. But again, I I just don't want I don't want to see. A, a letter go out, you know, eight months from now saying the Sedins have amicably parted ways with the organization right. or however they want to word it. Right. Because yeah. that would suck. And I think that that would burn a lot of bridges with ownership in this city if that happens, but I'm willing to, I'm willing to have an open mind. I'm willing to see what they can do. And I'm, you know, I, I was also struck by how they pretty much said, like, we don't really know. It sounded terrible at first, but then, like, we don't really know what we're going to do. Uh, I felt like saying like, oh, why the hell are you here? I didn't know what, <laughs> what you're going to do. But at the same time, maybe you know, I think there's a very genuine feeling that they want to help this organization, but they just don't really know how at first. And, Maybe a little bit in, they're going to find their niche and their stream, right? Yeah, I think that I think that's exactly what the the plan is. Is like they're going to put themselves in different rooms with different parts of the organization and see what they can soak in, and if they have any wisdom to impart. And I I, I think what stands out to me is going looking back at the year that they retired, and there was so much talk in the market about their legacy, but not just them as players but sort of like what they were leaving with the organization and with the players in that room and they were really clear with like sure that stuff's well and good but we're not going to be around like these players are going to have to figure this stuff out on their own that doesn't mean that they didn't still come to the rink and hang out with Alex Edler, their buddy and, and meet some of the guys. And I mean, I, I remember seeing them there a couple of times just because they probably you know, dropped their kids off at school and wanted something to do. And they, they definitely went to watch games as well. So they were still around, but they, they, they really wanted to say, we are not part of this team anymore. That was maybe the most important thing for them. And when it came to the management side of it, it was very much like going back to the start of their retirement was at one point we may be interested in this, but we need some time. We want to spend time with our families and stuff. And we hear that all the time. We hear that about like college football coaches where they leave yeah. a job and they're like, I want to spend time with my family. And you're like, you're lying. That's not yeah. true. You, you just didn't get paid enough by this university. Yeah. You, they, just, they just, they just realized that a young family at home all of a sudden, Oh yeah, yeah. I have to, I should probably spend <laughs> some time with these guys. But you said it, right? Like when the Sedins speak with the exception of the few times where, after games when they were players and Henrik would have to speak after a crappy game. And he'd be like, Oh, I thought we played well. And then you're like, even you Henrik probably don't believe that, but he might've man. Like it's like right on that line. But when it comes to the management stuff, when it comes to how they can help and the culture stuff, I think that they are really like their eyes are wide open. They're earnest about what they want to do. And I do think that they have something to bring this organization. You're right though. They're hanging, hanging right below it is that, eight months from now, that potential email that gets fired off or that press release that comes out that the Sedins are no longer part of the organization. And that's when, even if they said, look, they were just special advisors, they didn't do this, they didn't do that. Uh, at that point, you've captured the imagination of the fan base too much to try to pull that back. And so unless they really come out, and if, it, if it was the case where they felt like, okay, you know what, this is actually not something that we're interested in. We don't want to put the time in or we don't think we have... Uh, you know, the, the right mindset for whatever part of the organization they think that they can help out in. 
even if they came out and said that, I still think it would be, yeah, it would be too late. And these are, these are the last guys, you know, maybe if, if Alex Burroughs comes back as a coach, that would excite some of the fan base. Um, but at this point, like these, these are the, these are the two guys for sure. And uh, it is, it is nice that they're not going right back to the Linden path. And that's, that's one of my rare wins, if you will, where that, when that happened, and I remember talking to friends, who, Canucks fans, they were all so excited. Oh, Trevor's back, Trevor's back. And I thought this is just the way that everything was trending with the franchise. I thought this isn't a great idea. Uh, yes, Trevor Linden was involved with the Players Association. Yes, he was a captain in the league for a really long time. But like this is the way that everything unfolded after 2011. This The, the Canucks needed a, a much different they, they had to go in a different direction. They decided to do that classic move of bringing back uh, at that point, the iconic Canuck. And it's, I'm hopeful as much as people can be cynical and, and make the joke that the Sedins are going to be learning from, from Jim Benning. And maybe that's not the best thing in the world. Uh, I do think that the, you know, there's so many different meetings and, and layers of the organization that they're hopefully going to be involved in that, uh, that they can find a way to, to make an impact. I think the AHL points a big one that they're going to be, uh, they're going to be working with some of those players or they're at least going to have, you know, some oversight into what happens at that level, because as, as we know, they're, they're such intelligent hockey players in terms of what's happening on the ice. And as much as they like to joke about it now that they couldn't play today because the game's so much faster. I think so many of those little things that they did in the games could absolutely make, you know, they're not going to turn a bunch of no name players into stars, but they could, they could help. Uh, I think they could definitely help the, the the development part of this franchise. Yeah, and I think the the best case scenario for Henrik and Daniel Sedin is uh, turning into the next like Steve Eiserman, Joe Sackick, Chris Drury type, right? Where they kind of learn the ropes and then they get that general manager chance when the opportunity arises, right? Like that's the best case scenario I can think of in in this scenario. Totally. And looking at what Chris Drury's been saying out of New York, and he's, I didn't realize, I guess how serious of a guy he is and just like, he's really to the point. He's really direct. Uh, I obviously followed his career as a player and I guess Danny Briere was kind of the, the fun one. Mm -hmm. And Chris Dre was the, the hard and fast guy. And he's been, he's been in the mix with that organization and, and doing stuff with the HL and learning the ropes. And now he's got a shot. Like he, he's looking at a, at a Rangers team that uh, they didn't, well, I guess they did. They made one cup final and they had a, a really long period of having a lot of veteran players, uh, not necessarily superstars, but they had, they had this, this culture, I guess, for 10 years that was in place and that's been slowly transitioning. And when they can sign your boy, Stan like just scored. It's like a one oh, uh, baby, probably an empty go. netter. Yeah. Okay. Fantastic well. podcasting right here. There we go. Uh, not looking good for your pick. Uh, Look, I'm not, I, I'm not concerned I, at all. They, no they, concern. Vegas, They're going to win five or four of the next five. Look, Vegas. Vegas smashed them game one and they one and six. I'm not too. I'm not too worried. I'm not too. All right. Worried. Okay. Oh That's no, not empty netter. Okay. I, I like the confidence. I like the confidence. I also put an uncomfortably amount, a large amount of money on the hab, so I kind of need <laughs> this one. I kind of need this one to hit. So. <laughs> uh, following your twitter account i, I sort of gathered that the one and you know two and two would go together oh, you, you know your euro 2020 has been sorry your 20 slash 21 has been killing me but continue 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 sorry sorry to get yeah, off the yeah. no no track. no all good all good uh yeah look uh, and steve eiserman that guy as well uh the work that he did coming out 
after a player in management. Uh, it's funny because we spend so much time talking about these positions and the moves. And obviously in Vancouver, we spend a lot of time talking about are they the right moves? Are they the wrong moves? Trades, free agent signings, too much money, all that kind of stuff. Uh, those guys actually went in and, and sort of went to the, to the inside. And, and I think in Iserman's case, we're going to see with Drury, but in Iserman's case, I, I think in a lot of ways, he looked at the way that certain things were being done uh, and has some old school tendencies. I think he learned a lot from Ken Holland. But then at the, at the same point, working in Tampa with someone like Julian Brisebois, I think they saw an opportunity of like, okay, um, it's not quite baseball and money ball, but uh, targeting certain types of players. Uh, for them, the big one was being able to keep uh, players on, on somewhat of a hometown discount, which is not the first time that anyone's done that. The Canucks did that, uh, but the Canucks did that with some older players and they gave them no trade clauses. And, and we know how that ended up as well. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I, one more thing about the Vancouver Canucks, because I know you got to get get going here shortly. Just one more topic. Um, well, I got in this debate with Rob Williams last week, Rob the Hockey Guy on Twitter. I think it's really important for the Vancouver Canucks to make the playoffs next season, actually. I think for the older guys on the team, some like the Bo Horvats, the JT Millers, even the Brock Bessers, I think it's important for the Vancouver Canucks to make the playoffs. Like, look at the playoffs right now. Josh Anderson playing for the Montreal Canadiens a junior teammate of Bo Horvat with the London Knights. Do you think Bo Horvat's sitting around watching this game? If he's watching it, seeing his buddy, Josh Anderson, he's probably watching that and thinking, I want a piece of that. I want to be playing in those big games in the Stanley cup finals. So in a sense, I do think, you know, the Canucks do need to make some moves in this off season to make the playoffs. Like I think they have to actually really try to make the playoff team. And I, look, I'm not saying trade the ninth overall pick for Sam Reinhardt. That's not what I'm saying when I say like, try and make the playoffs, but yeah. there's an opportunity, I think with the expansion draft here to, you know, leverage some pieces and try and, you know, get a couple of good third liners and maybe improve that depth and be a playoff team. I, I think it's really important because if you, if you have another disastrous season, like you had last year, maybe a guy like JT Miller says, you know what I want out for her. That's going to be a UFA soon maybe he doesn't want to resign here. Like those are worst case scenarios, but I think it's important for the Canucks to position themselves to make the playoffs next season. Now a lot of talk's been about the Pacific division, right? Oh, the Pacific division is going to be dog shit again. Like yeah. you can, you can make, you can make a case that the Canucks can easily make a playoff spot. I don't know about that. Vegas is a, I think a lock for a playoff team, despite the Oilers choking again, they're probably a lock for a playoff team. Calgary, they're probably going to bounce back. Uh, and I think, you know, you look at Seattle, they're a wild card. I don't know if they'll be a powerhouse right off the bat like Vegas. Mm-hmm. Uh, and other than that, like there, there's going to be a battle, I think, for that fourth playoff. So I don't think Arizona is going to be in it. Maybe Seattle. Uh, Anaheim, I don't think is going to be in it. San Jose, not going to be in it. So I think you're looking at in a realistic scenario, the Canucks, maybe Seattle and maybe the Kings, like battling out for that final fourth spot in the uh, in the Pacific. And, you know, that wild card spot, it uh, it could happen. But I think it is important for the Canucks to try and make the playoffs next year. They have to make at least a couple moves up front and definitely a couple moves on the blue line. And I guess the only the only pause I give in terms of the moves that they're going to make, because I do agree, like this, they're at a point where they have to, they've gone too far in the direction of trying to make the playoffs and keep the players happy. And the, the fact that Pedersen and Hughes came out of the box as rookies so hot, 
ex- accelerated that. And the issue has always been that there hasn't been enough of an emphasis on, okay, you know, like, let's say you talk about, let's, can we get some third liners? Can, can they leverage some players uh, or leverage some teams to get some players that might get taken in the expansion draft? Th- those are the bets that they should be making. And what we have seen, uh, it's not that they haven't wanted or, or gone after younger players. I mean, there was the, the joke forever that they, they would take any sort of reclamation project. We saw a number of players come through Vancouver uh, that, that really didn't work out. I think, I think not the Sven Berchi when he was traded for was a huge reclamation project at the time, but he probably was like the poster boy for, okay, we're going to go take a guy that was a pretty big prospect for another team. We're going to bring him to Vancouver and we're going to give him an opportunity. They've done, I mean, they did that. How many waiver signings were playing so in the many. lineup at the end of so the many. season, but it's, it's just, it's never been, it's never been done. I think in, in the, in the way that, uh, you know, I think, Thomas Drance just wrote about this in the athletics. So it's the top of the top of mind, uh, the way the Florida did it in the off season last year, where they signed like eight or nine guys to either league minimum or $1 million contracts. And four of them turned out to be regulars for their team. The guys that were playing in the middle six guys that they could play on the second line, guys that they could play on the third line. When the Canucks have had injuries, we've seen those two lines just have gone to complete shit. And they've get, been able to get nothing out of that. Obviously, uh, we know that that's basically also been the case when uh, a lot of those high-priced free agent signings for the bottom six were playing in those roles. They weren't getting anything out of that either. But because of the expansion draft, because of the way that some teams are capped out, and look, the Canucks are, are definitely capped out in the sense that they can't go out and get a guy like Jack Eichel for nothing. Uh, but they, they have the opportunity because... Uh, it's not that long ago that we were talking about how many players would have loved the opportunity to play with Elias Pettersson or how many players want to play with Quinn Hughes. And if that's going to be Travis Hamanick, sure. That's fine. I do. I do think that he got better as the season went on. I don't think he was particularly good when the season started. Uh, but then you start to hear the whispers. Oh, he, you know, he, he actually is interested in playing with teams that aren't in Western Canada. Oh, he's, he's going to want to cash in a little bit. Well then move on to the next one. Cause there is going to be a player out there. That's going to be in a situation in a circumstance uh, financially where they're going to come in at a certain price range. And if the, the ask or the offer is look, sign a one or two year deal with us, at this money, you get to play with Quinn Hughes or you get to play with Elias Pettersson. That's still something that they have on the table. And I think that they should be, they should be using that because look, and even if the player doesn't end up playing with, with those guys uh, at, over the course of the season, if the team's winning, the player's not going to be that pissed off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, that, that's a good point. I think you do have to take those, those kind of, you know, low risk, high, high reward kind of type guys when you're targeting depth pieces for the Vancouver Canucks. I think that's really, and I, yeah, again, like I'm not saying go out and, you know, go, you know, trade your next three first round picks for Jack Eichel or something like that. Try and shoehorn that. Like you gotta be a bit smarter than that, but like you, I think it's important for the Canucks to bounce back a lot and try and be a playoff team next season. And, you know, last season, you know, I think it was one of those seasons where everything that could go wrong did, if looking back, like we've, we've talked about it on this podcast before I listen off all the crazy batshit stuff 
that went on in that season. And the fact that I'm, it still bo- it still boggles my mind. The fact that nothing really changed in the management group, like everything went wrong. Yeah. And it just kind of, they just swapped around some assistant coaches pretty much like that. That was the big change, but you do have to, I think be a bit smarter in terms of trying to find these kind of death pieces that can play uh, up and down the lineup. The problem always is, as I always say, like Jim Benning's strong suit is not creative thinking, right? Like that's always been kind of one of his downfalls. So I, I'm pretty concerned uh, about that. A uh, couple more things, Izzy. Sure. First of all, why weren't you on that episode with Mike Gillis of On Air? Why was <laughs> it? Why was it just Alex? He's hogging all the limelight. That was uh, that was a project that Alex had been working on for a while. I think uh, he had been talking to Mike for for a few weeks, and we were going to do it together. And then um, I guess yeah, I guess I just was busy the weekend, and he decided to to go ahead and do it, which I was fine with. And uh, yeah, he, that was something that Alex had been working on for a while. Okay, so you're not worried Alex is going to split up and, and do his own thing now that he's got the big Mike Gill- oh, Gillis interview uh, under him. I'd love to see it. I'd love to see Alex go solo. I, I would be his number one supporter. You, 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 you don't sound that convinced, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay, here, here. So I want to. No, 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 no concerns. No concerns. Okay, that's, no concerns. Uh, no, that's that's good to hear. That's good to hear. Um, I know you're a big soccer fan, so I want to quickly end off. The, we might as well end it off here. Euro 2020 slash 2021. Look, I, I'm actually going to go camping this weekend, so I'm not going to be watching the, uh, the Italy-Belgium game, but I think legitimately. Oh, wow. Yeah, I know. I know. It's a, it's, it's a big risk for me. It's a big risk for me, but I've been planning this for like a couple months, so I can't I can't bail now. I don't, I feel I feel bad if I bail Fair. now. But yeah. you know what? Like I th- honestly think that, that Italy-Belgium game will decide who goes to the final. Like those two teams have been the most convincing out of, out of the way. France agree, obviously, man. France obviously big time choke job today. Uh, yeah, brutal. So, yeah, no, that was uh, that was tough. But look, look pe- Kylian Mbappe. Okay, great player. Can we stop the comparisons to Ronaldo and Messi right now? Right now, after that, I don't want to hear another comparison with those two guys. People love the shit on Ronaldo for the penalty taking. Oh, he only scores penalties. Guess what? <laughs> Guess what? Penalty taking is a legitimate skill. It's a legitimate yeah. skill. Like, stop shitting on the guy for that. Uh, second, Spain today, like that. This, those two games today were incredible. Unreal. Spain, absolute mental head cases. Like those guys, it's 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 incredible how they go from scoring no goals and couldn't find the back of the net, couldn't hit the broadside of a barn, to scoring five <laughs> goals against Slovakia, yeah, to then scoring yeah. another five goals against Croatia. And blowing while blowing a three-one lead, it's absolutely wild. Like, what are your thoughts been on the tournament so far? I think it's it's honestly, it's, it's been a lot of fun. I, I I missed international these international tournaments. Totally, man. It's been it's been great. I'm with you that uh, Italy's been impressive. Belgium to me has you know I mean if Lukaku's scoring like the way that he has in a couple of these games, they are. They are so dangerous, and it's it's not like they're out of nowhere. Uh, they've been a couple of tournaments now where they've been seen as a team on the rise. But yeah, the fact that them and Italy are playing and, and squaring off here, I do think that whoever comes out of that game is definitely the favorite, not just to make the final, but to win the tournament. Uh, and we're recording this on Monday night. Uh, on Tuesday, we've got you know England's got a chance to shit its pants again, uh, playing uh, playing against a Germany team that uh, was pretty poor against France and then had a, you know, a big game against Portugal 
but has not. I'm, a, shown I'm not scared of this German good. team. This that no, that this has all, been man. this has been the weakest German team I've seen probably in my lifetime. Like yeah. I'm not afraid. I wouldn't if Italy played Germany in the finals. I'd be like, oh yeah, I like that a lot. Right. I like that a lot. Yep. Yeah. No, they haven't been they haven't been impressive. And like I I think England should win that game if they you know if Harry Kane decides to show up and not be a ghost like he has been in most of the games for them uh, because that's the weaker side of the draw and with France crashing out and they just is disappointing because they, their tactics to start the game were, were off. They changed formations. They didn't, they clearly were, were disjointed to start the game. And that's the, the risk that they run with Didier Deschamps as, as the coach. Uh, he's definitely more of a heart and soul manager than a. That was, that was beautiful pronunciation. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. DDA uh, tough one. Uh, and they, I mean, they almost got bailed out, right? There were you know, the Benzema mm-hmm. magic, the Pogba magic. They almost, they almost got bailed out and they just, they, they I mean, they, they blew it and they, Mbappe to your point, Mbappe probably should have had a couple of goals today. Yeah. And he easily should have. Yeah. With, but you know, but you know what, but you know what, this too. international term has just shown how much, you know, having an actual good manager who can, you know, change tactics on the fly can really elevate a team like France on paper, they should have won the tournament. Like they're loaded at pretty much every position. Yeah. But you know, like you said, like the tactics today against the all, they started with kind of like the back three. Like, yeah. I don't know why you're starting Rabio as a wing back, fucking stupid. And then you switch it up at half and it seems to work. But you know, if, if you just play that way from the beginning, they probably lost that game in the first half, France. Totally. totally. In, in my opinion. It's, it's and rough. You, it's really you look, rough. You look, 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 I'm, look, Italy's a fucking wagon. I think they're going all the way. I really like this team. Bobby Mancini has got the boys buzzing. I'm really that's I'm a good a manager. Fan. I mean, like that's he, a guy that's, who's that's been a pretty top, underrated, that's, even though that's he's managed top, some big top. clubs. He's done a great job. He that's a top quality manager. He knows, you know, how to use best his players effectively, and that's probably that's a big part of international football. Is like you obviously can't you can't really go out and get players to fit your system if you want to play a certain way. So you get players, and you got to figure out a way to play them all together yep. and make it work, right? Like that's the key to international management. And some of these guys just don't get it. Yeah. Oh, it, it, the the one the one thing that always comes to mind is uh, Louis Van Hall with the the Dutch team uh, mm-hmm. when he played this crazy formation at the I guess it was a 2014 World Cup, and then went to Man United and tried to play his crazy formation at Man United, and it was just it was just a fucking disaster. <laughs> yeah. Well, 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 you, well, you know what? Like uh, today, France. First time they've lost on penalties since the 2006 World Cup final. Ooh. That made me. That made me very happy. I'm sure. I remember where I was uh, for that. I, I didn't. I didn't get to watch that game live. I was playing a baseball tournament. They announced it on the loudspeaker. And oh, it wasn't until sucks. I got home that I saw what happened. And this was obviously pre-Twitter and, and uh, Facebook was around, but it wasn't a huge social media time. But I do remember that summer, all of the Zidane memes and the songs yes. out of France and all of that stuff. And you can still sign, if you're if you're searching for gifts online, there's still a bunch of Zidane headbutt gifts that are, that are around. If you're, if, you're, if you're ever looking for for a headbutt gif, uh, yeah. that's, I highly recommend it. That was, that um, was, a, that's, I remember that's playing one like of one of the craziest fl- sports moments ever. I remember playing one of those flash games where all it was, was you have to like headbutt like you have, you have the head, but like I get the high score. I remember playing a flash game like that on like yes. one of those websites. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, I love yeah. It. I, remember, I remember playing one of those games. So, what's your official prediction for the Euro for the Euro final? I think Belgium makes the final. I'm sorry. It's all right. But it's uh, all right. Man, I, I I don't know on the other side. 
for the jokes, I'll say that England gets on some run and we get a Belgium-England final. And then England gets its heart pulled out because Belgium's a much better side. You know what? I'm going Italy-Germany. So pretty much the opposite okay, of, those two yeah. ga- of those two games. So those Italy are the two winning. big games. Those are the games if people got people got to watch those games. It's going to decide the tournament. Yeah, and I, I think England loses on penalties tomorrow. I think it's going all the way. See, that's the other part. Of, like, if that happened, that, that would be good for the jokes as well. It, it's got to be one or the other. At the end of a tournament, there's got to be England jokes. That's almost like it's got it's got to happen there after the world cup after they they had this quote unquote likable young team and they had a couple of wins that got people real excited and the song was playing and then yeah they lost in in the semis but it was they there was too much positivity out of the last world cup when it came to england yeah we need to get back to normal we need to get back to basics after the last 16 months of the pandemic where the world's been turned upside down this is needs to be the confirmation england either loses on penalties to germany (laughs) or or loses you know one nothing on an own goal or something like that or makes it all the way to the final i mean it, it actually would be better for the jokes if they lost to italy in the final because that would upset you know, them more. I, I've said it before. England are the Toronto Maple Leafs of international football. It's the, the parallels are, are too similar, so that's why I can't I can't pick them to win. I need to see them. I need to see them suffer. <laughs> I'm right there. It's, I'm I'm there for the jokes, man. I'm there for the chaos. All right, Izzy. Thank you so much for for joining the podcast. Bit of a different episode today, so hope everyone uh, enjoyed it. Uh, yeah, thanks for coming on. Uh, hopefully, we have you on again sometime. Absolutely, Nick. Thanks for having me on, dude. Okay, we are back, and I'm going to give my official prediction for the Stanley Cup Final. Right now, Montreal in six. I honestly think Montreal's a very good chance in the series against Tampa Bay because of the style they play. Montreal, super compact, counterattacking team. They get the puck out of their zone quickly, and when they do, they go straight down the ice and get a great chance. So I think Montreal has a very distinct well, maybe not distinct, but they do have an advantage in terms of the way Tampa plays as compared to the New York Islanders, because the Islanders were very similar to Montreal in that regard, where they want to you know, counterattack and get the puck quickly out of the zone and then go on the attack themselves. So I like Montreal in the series. Montreal in six, Habs in six. I honestly think that like, they've been discounted in every series they've played so far, whether that's Obviously, Toronto, Winnipeg, especially Las Vegas. I had I had Vegas win that series. Swear to God, I had Vegas win that series. So I think Montreal, they can really, 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 really pull this off here. Anyways, that's today's episode of Power of the Towel, part of the Next Misconduct Network of podcasts. I'm your host, Nick Bondi. Thank you for listening.